Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, sisterly affection, and great Pennsylvania Dutch donuts in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim, and joining me as always, Carlo and Lavelle. How are you guys? Doing great. Doing well. I mentioned the donuts, Carlo, because I know you were going full ham into what remains of a box of donuts you got yesterday. Yeah, uh, thanks for telling the listeners about that, Tim. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sugar shaming, Carlo. I'm sugar, yeah. I'm sugar shaming well, you right now. <laughs> everybody knows donuts make please, me go nuts. Please note my silence on the topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've all said he is only having a coffee right now, but right. I find that hard to believe. Right. <laughs> That's because I start my eating at 4 a.m. <laughs> He's on second breakfast already. <laughs> yeah, like we're uh, we're gonna discuss backdating tournament schedules. He's backdating eating schedules. He's like, all right, podcast at nine a.m. Yep. Got to make sure I get a meal in at four. Three meals before. <laughs> How else am I expect to keep my energy up? <laughs> keep the energy up. So as always, let's start with hobby progress. This is kind of a big week for hobby progress because Nova Open twenty eighteen starts on this coming Wednesday. It's a tournament I feel like we talk about a lot because it's right down the road from us here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. It's an event that we've been to a number of years in a row. We've always had a really good time. So we do spend a lot of time talking about it and prepping for it because this is one of the few big multi-day tournaments where we can actually drive a vehicle there so we can bring all the fun stuff like display boards and all the other accoutrements that you might have to leave behind where you'd have to fly to a tournament like Adepticon or LVO or one of these other ones. So for us, it's kind of a local big deal tournament, which is fun and makes it, uh, makes it a good time. I've been busy getting everything ready for Nova. As we may have mentioned before, we're, we have a big display board in progress. Um, I'll put pictures up on the website from Nova to really show it off. I won't say much more about it, except today I'm gloss varnishing the entire thing. And I have two cans of Krylon gloss varnish ready to go just to make it look as gross and as wet and as sinewy and as belly-like as possible. Belly and jelly-like. Uh, it's going to be really cool. I have this uh, a whole system for assembling it end-to-end and I have, we're bringing a hot glue gun. That's another thing you can bring when you, ha- when you just drive down the road to a big tournament where you're using a display board. I'm bringing a small hot glue gun for final assembly once we get downstairs into the playing area because some of the bits are extremely fragile. So we'll, we'll be doing a little bit of hot gluing down there too. Uh, so beyond the display board, the, uh, the biggest list that uh, I think all of us are playing down at Nova is 2,000 points as our solo list in the trios tournament, which starts up on Thursday. So I'm bringing a mix of Admech and Iron Hands, as per usual. But I never actually finished doing a lot of little details on my Admech army, like, for instance, painting the black edges of all the bases to give it that nice contrast to whatever playing surface you're on. The pigment powders that I used on my Iron Hands, I'm now applying them to my Admech army, just little dashes here and there. And then I'm going to go back through and do a final matte varnish on a few of those Admech models that never got a final hit of the matte varnish. So that's been yesterday and today. I set aside this whole weekend to get stuff ready for uh, Nova, which has been really good. I spent probably seven hours at it yesterday, and I'll spend the rest of the day today there after we're done recording. I'm also finishing a Tech Marine on a bike, which is just the Battle of Vedros single 
biker model that I bought, the little kit, you know, the one with the bright colored kit for the young people. I bought that and I have some various bits from my AdMech stuff that I'm uh, attaching to that guy to make him look very uh, tech marine-like. And he's turning out pretty good. Uh, I had a little bit of trouble getting the red to match perfectly with the other red that I used in my AdMech army, but I'm going to deal with that today. So I will have a functioning tech marine on a bike for Nova, which will be fun. And as part of another game that uh, that Carlo and I are playing while we're down there, I'm bringing a small 500-point uh, Dragiri Dark Age list. I painted those models a while back. I actually painted them while I was on vacation, which was kind of nice. I brought four tubes of heavy-bodied acrylic paints and uh, like two brushes and just kind of went at them as I had a break from, you know, just kind of hanging around for vacation. So I'm going to bring them uh, down to play with them, but I didn't uh, didn't base them, so I'm going to finish basing the, base them today. And uh, that should be that. And then I'm going to pack everything up today. I'm bringing everything home from my hobby space, going to put it in my living room in the corner so that I don't have to deal with it Monday or Tuesday and we can get on the road bright-eyed, bushy-tailed on Wednesday and be down there in time for the Games Workshop preview event on Wednesday evening, which will be nice, because in years past we've been hustling down there. But we'll talk about that in uh, Section 2. So that's been my hobby progress. It's been very good. In between all that stuff, a lot of big life events have happened in the last month. I've been doing a little bit of commission painting on the side, doing some uh, some nights for a friend. Uh, so it's been it's been busy in the studio recently, which has been nice. Lavelle, how about your hobby progress ahead of this 2018 Nova Open. Yeah, I've been a little bit busy. So before you understand my hobby progress, you have to understand what I'm doing at the Nova. The first official day of the tournament is Thursday, correct? Yes. And that's our trios event. Correct. So on Thursday, I'm playing our trios event. On Friday, I'm in and I'm in an infinity tournament. On Saturday, I'm in a bolt action tournament. Uh, Saturday evening, I'm in a Wrath of Kings tournament. And then Sunday morning, I'm in a War Machine tournament. Wow. So uh, somebody said to me, <laughs> you know, they should have a Renaissance Man Award. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <clears throat> so I thought I was all ready. Then I took my, um, my, my army to a local tournament last week. I ended up placing fourth, but I found some holes. And one of those I'm going to talk a little bit about when we, we talk about game. And so I've made some, I've had to run out, buy models, and make adjustments. And so I'm finishing that up. Interesting. I also decided to get an Infinity game in and found some holes in that list. And so I have a very extensive, um, maybe very extensive is a bit aggressive. I probably have a total of uh, 200 Infinity models in two different factions. And I need you'd think that I had everything I, I needed, but I decided to double down based on my experience last year on some of the models, and I needed some repeats. My bolt action, I love the game. I don't get a chance to play it a lot. I played it, and I was satisfied with my army. And then, because of the type of friends that I have, Matt offered to give me a bunch of his pieces that he wasn't using. And I just, <laughs> yeah. So now I have to, you know, most of them were assembled. A lot were assembled, and I really appreciate it. But now I had to go back and get them painted in the color of my army because he had some pieces that I had never gotten. And I was satisfied with my army until I saw that I could get other things for free. So I'm, I'm racing to finish that. However, I am pleased to report that my Wrath of Kings army is already all packed. My War Machine army is all ready, but not packed. 
my dining room right now is is an, is a packing experiment. Um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to pack because you know my custodian's army is real spindly, and so how you pack that and how you pack that night, I've got a, 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 a something I'm experimenting with because for some reason I have boxes and boxes of popcorn in my basement, and so all of those packing popcorns, I'm, I'm looking to do something different to uh, get it down there. So I'm experimenting with that. I'm probably going to have one duffel bag with clothes and then all these cases for gaming supplies. And on top of that, um, this time, I I feel like, I could be wrong, I feel like I'm leaving enough space and time for me to play games there. You know, last year we we came across Ethereum, but I didn't have enough time to, uh, to do anything but a demo. And I feel like there's enough space in my calendar now for me to be able to play a tournament in a day, a day and then do some um, some spend some quality time in the vendor room. Yes. So that's uh, my hobby action. There should be an award for somebody who who winds up playing a different tournament for a different gaming system every day. There absolutely should be. You should at least get a T-shirt or a pin. <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> give me a pin. Give a, me a refrigerator pin. magnet. Exactly. Get um, the man a magnet. <laughs> Carlo, what about you? Uh, there's quite a bit of stuff I need to do for Nova. So, yeah. Um, I've been, uh, taking summer classes, accelerated math. So, uh, which is not a strong suit of mine. So it's, I haven't been able to dedicate as much time to hobbying as I'd like, but I did get, uh, to go to that airbrushing course, uh, last week, right. Or two weeks ago, I guess now. And I painted up a Bjorn and that, uh, with modular lighting. So that was fun doing that for the first time. I've, just got the Space Wolves Codex, and since we're, I'm not playing in like the GT or the Invitational, which the cutoff for like a Codex having to have been dropped was the 13th. So in the narrative, there, I talked to the TO, he's gonna let me use the Space Wolves Codex, and so I got to go back and change my list. So um, I've got 10 Primaris, uh, nine I have to paint, one I already painted that was like my test model. So I've got them built. I'm gonna paint them today. Uh, I've got change my list a bit because the points are what I, I have a feeling like maybe some models that'll be easy to paint like like Fenrisian wolves and stuff like that or I could just throw in some of the stuff I already have done. I got uh, two Armager Helverins that I'm going to paint uh, between today and tomorrow. So it's pretty ambitious It's pretty ambitious to finish ten Primaris Marines and two Helverins over the course of two days. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I applaud your efforts. I thought I had a lot to do by painting black stripes around the bases of a bunch of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, I was sweating like 20... I got to paint 20 black lines this afternoon. How am I going to do Lavelle, talk to me about Forge World price increases. Yeah, so there was a there was recently um, uh, an increase in Forge World prices that nobody could account for. It seemed to take place overnight, and it, it used to be, and this was something funky. It used to be you could pay in any currency and let your credit card do the conversion, and so then you're paying whatever conversion rate is there versus the prices you pick when you select the U.S. store. Um, So sometimes, not often, but sometimes you get a little game in the system based on where it is. One of the things that that matters is now that this price increase that seemed to have gone through with this adjustment does not seem to be related at all to the conversion. And so, for example, if you take a Forge World tank that I'm making this price up that costs $100, it should cost $100 no matter where you are, although the currency exchange may change that. When you got back to the base cost, the base cost should still be 100. Everybody follow that math? 
And yeah. this is why my finance degree, I got my finance degree so many years ago. Ta-da, finally paying off. But <laughs> now there is a there is definitely a price differential that is not associated with the price increase. And nobody can really explain what this pricing increase, why it happened, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, I'm 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 for business. People can businesses can do anything they want. But you know, I was at a, a game club. I go to a lot of different game clubs, and a lot of people in that game club, I thought, had a lot of Forge World pieces. And I was like, wow, these guys must be flowing in cash. Except for a lot of them were using the Chinese knockoffs. And you know, China, you can get a knockoff from China, and it's a replicate, et cetera, et cetera. And there's always going to be issues with quality and. Ex- the whole nine yards. But I didn't understand this change seems counter to the overall flow of the games workshop business being more customer friendly and and just allowing people to get involved and play. It was it was very, very strange. I did not I, I could not understand it. Do you think some of it has to do with the because they have a new shipping policy too, right? Aren't they shipping more stuff from within the U.S., so is there any argument that could be made that it's less expensive to get stuff shipped here? That would not account for more expensive price. I thought it was going to go in the other direction. My biggest problem with Forge World Pieces is the weight. You know, I'm kind of impatient. I want to be able to buy my stuff. And being able to order stuff and ship it to the local Games Workshop store, you know, seemed to make sense to me. I thought that's the, the direction that they were going in, but apparently not. And it's turned a, quite a few people off of the Forge World pieces, which are, are really, really great. And I wonder if they'll see an uptick in the, uh, you know, the Chinese and Russian uh, recasts going on now because this is more expensive. Yeah. It seems like convenience because they got they have great quality, but the convenience, you know, getting it to at a local store store if one is closer to you, would make people move more in that direction, even at the current pricing scheme that they had, which was kind of high. Forge World pieces aren't inexpensive. But now that they, they, they've made it like, well, you know, if, if you live in the U.S., maybe you don't even want to bother with Forge World pieces. Interesting to see how this shakes out. I wonder if people will be talking about, you know, people will definitely be talking about this at Nova because there will be a Forge World booth there. I wonder if those, do you think those prices are going to apply to uh, Nova this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to see. I was disappointed last year at Nova because the Forge World, I was happy the Forge World was there, but they seemed to buy, they seemed, they did not bring enough of a variety, and they seemed to bring only the models that they were pushing, whether it fit the play or not. So I, I, I was a little bit disappointed. I'm hoping that I can pick up some, because I would like to pick up some Custodes tanks, but they had none there when I was there. They did um, mention, I think Nova posted this uh a few months ago, there was a cutoff date, and I think it was August 11th. And if you pre-ordered by then, you could have stuff shipped to Nova and pick it up there. Yeah, and it, or, I'm not sure if that was the same. I think that might have even been before the price increase. So that would have been great. Yeah, there there is a button here on the Forge World website that says free shipping to events. Yeah. That's how. Do you have an example of like how big of an increase it was on certain models? I could have sworn I heard there was like a thirty percent price hike or something like that, but I don't want to just like make an assumption. So I have an article here, and they um, they talk about the what is it? Um, the price of the betrayal at Calf Prospero Bundle should have only been two hundred and forty six um, dollars when you converted it. 
but it turned out to be a $60, uh, a $60 increase over the conversion. Yeah, you know, it, it, wow. it came out to $300 for the, to, for the thing. Um, okay, let me try to explain this better. The price is 190 British pounds. If you convert that to currency, currency exchange, it should come out to about $246.30. But the price, if you go to the website and you do the and you click that you're in the US, the price for that same bundle costs three hundred dollars. So it's a twenty-five percent increase on top of the conversion. Right. There's that accelerated math coming in handy, Carlo. All yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another example, and it's on a, a different website that I follow. It says, if you bought a Leviathan Dreadnought from Forge World yesterday, August 21st, it would have cost you $93. And the next day, when you do that exact same model, if you bought it, it would cost you $112. Yeah, that's not an insignificant increase in price. That's quite a bit. Yeah, so you know, I don't, I didn't understand what was going on there, but it's worth watching. I, I, I think one of the things that people were talking about, and I think Carlo mentioned it too, maybe it's due to some additional tariff or some other adjustment that's being made that we can't see. But if that were the case, I, I would think that, hey, this, this is because of this, so that people know it, it's not something that the, 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 the company is just doing to. To rake more money. Interesting. Yeah, this might be a result of the, you know, the the, the shifting tides of the uh, international tariffs. Interesting. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about Forge World overall. I am seeing before a Forge World model, seeing a Forge World model at a tournament one or two was a very rare thing, and you'd see one and go, "Oh, that's a Forge World piece. Let's run over there and look at that table." But now you're seeing them more and more, especially the um, the Imperial Knights. I had at one of my tournaments, um, I saw an, an Atropos. And, uh, you know, I, I myself have a, a Forge World Imperial Knight, the Castigator. And so you're seeing more and more of these Forge World pieces on the table and in the daily or the regular tournament scene as opposed to just big events. And I think the Forge World models, I think the Forge World models, they're really good. They add a different level of uh, tactical choices to the game, and you're seeing them integrated more and more. But when you couple that along with kind of this thing right here, it makes me wonder, in order for this game to remain playable, the models have to be accessible. You know, I've been accused of buying my way to victory, which clearly is not true because I don't know where I don't win anywhere near commensurate with the money I spent. <laughs> so I want to tell everybody you cannot buy your way to victory. But it does add a different um, level of complexity onto like even play and entry level play. Because I noticed, you remember when we played that tournament, um, Tim, and we got shot off? Well, not we, let me be honest. I got shot off that table by that new Castellan knight. Anybody could actually buy that knight and build that knight and do the exact same thing. If you consider a model like that that can tip the balance so much and it's not really accessible because it's really outlandishly priced, that kind of does something to the game that I really don't like. Sure. Do you think, um, of all the games that you play, Lavelle, is 40K the most expensive to be able to play 
well at a tournament. Yes. Well, you got a couple of things. Um, take my Wrath of Kings. I have a Wrath of Kings. I have an entire collection of Wrath of King models. There are a couple of models that I don't have, but I have. I do not need to buy any more Wrath of King models to compete and to continually play and get different types of games in my faction. I don't have to do that. Do you think that's because they're not? Are they not changing the meta enough to make it? I feel, I feel like you know GW changes how the game is played enough to make it necessary to get new models. Do you think like Wrath of Kings, for instance, which I think is cool mini yes. or not? Do they not do that? No, nowhere near the no nowhere near the range of um, of uh, you know forty k. But I also play Infinity, and you talk about a fast moving meta. It's it's really fast. They have storylines. Everything adjusts. But you know your model count in that game is is lower one, and the entry level is lower. Like you can go and get a complete army that has everything you need to play competitively for $200 right off the shelf. And everything you need is in one box set. They do a good job of that. And they adjust the models, and but the model, the, the model count is lower. So a couple of things, pricing and the model count is what really is going to drive it. And in 40K, you know, I could conceivably because I've been collecting over time. And I think in this hobby, there are more people like that. And we're seeing it with this edition as they come back into the game who have long collections. And some models come in. I, I, I saw a game at Red Caps a couple of Thursdays ago. And the, no, uh, Sunday, it was last Sunday. These, this guy had three generations of Carnifexes. And he had them all on the table and you could see the model. And it was just amazing to watch. But he can keep playing with them. And so that's the thing about 40K. Over time, you know, you can catch up to the curve. Units will come in a fa- can into favor. They will go out of favor, and things will change like that. But, you know, when you drop a Forge World piece onto the table, it can be substantially – it could give you a tactical a, – a big strategic advantage, big. I feel like th- this, this is a good point in the kind of the GW timeline to maybe take note of this. With the release of Kill Team – with an increase in Forge World prices, are we going to see in the next year or so a kind of a shift in what people are playing and how often? Meaning that maybe, you know, in tournaments to come, maybe more people are just going to opt to dive into a Kill Team tournament as opposed to a fully blown 40. I know, you know, last last episode we talked about how it scratches a different itch, and I appreciate that. You know, it's a different kind of game altogether, right? But in light of the fact that 40k is getting a little bit more expensive by virtue of the price of the Forge World models coming up, and getting into 40k on the Kill Team level has become less expensive because some of those kits for Kill Team are actually a really good deal, I wonder if we're going to see a change in how people who are interested in the hobby or who have been in the hobby for a long time are going to kind of say, you know what, maybe... Maybe I'll, I'll I'll do some more kill team. Maybe I'll get a couple of small kill team armies. But you know, maybe I don't need the the, the, the big boxes anymore. Maybe I don't need the big bags full of stuff. I, I think you will see that because it's easier to get into. And theoretically, I mean, you don't have to buy any new models to play kill team. Sure. You can play with the models sure. that you have. You can you can you know play faster games. You know, shorter games. You know, it's it's just better, and it onboard more people into that. 
I have the Kill Team rules. I'm not really a Kill Team guy. I like my big battles. I'll be curious to see what the prices are like at Nova. I'll be curious to see what people are talking about in the line at the Forge World booth at Nova. And it would be really good if we could maybe uh, have a chat with one of the GW employees that's there and kind of get their read on uh, why the pricing change happened now and what that's going to mean going forward for people having access to the Forge World stuff. You know, I think another move that I want to talk about that Games Workshop did and continues to con- to support is they're bringing so much of it back into their own shop. So, in essence, Titanicus is, in fact, a board game. It's a board game played with miniatures, and I really like the kind of theme and everything. I like everything I've seen about it. And they're bringing out these uh, these additional ways for you to engage in, 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 in the, the, the entire universe at different levels. I think they're appreciating more and more, the, the, the company as a whole, what they have in their intellectual property. And, you know, you might not – I believe that people like the, the intellectual property, but they might not like the big miniature games. They might not like going through all of this to get – to engage in it and so they'll read a book or do different things but i think it um it's really really good to see it out there did anybody think it was interesting that with the release of adeptus titanicus and maybe this was the the case with the original adeptus titanicus but it's very clearly branded as a horus heresy game it's on the front of the box and everything this is a horus heresy era game and i think it's interesting that they chose to do that as opposed to release it as a you know a 41st millennium setting I, I think that the reason behind this, and anybody chime in if you have different information, but some of the reason behind it was in the Horus Heresy era, there were more Titans walking around. And so it seemed to fit into the storyline. So that was the, what I really thought was interesting. But one of the things that I also read is Games Workshop definitively said they're closing out the Horus Heresy very, very soon. It might have been next year or something like that. And the, the Horace Harry, the Heresy, the novels, everything will be closing out. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, so, you know, because right now they have two different eras that they have people engaged in and playing in. The current era and, the and you know, the 30K era, the Horace Heresy era. And uh, what are they going to bring something else out for us? I, I don't know where they're going. When they state they're going to close it out, let's. I think we can be clear in knowing that they're going to finish the storyline. In terms of the novels, Horus is going to get to Terra. They're going to battle on the Vengeful Spirit, and you know we all know what happens next. No, what happens? But I, I would, no. I would, I would hope that that wouldn't mean that by closing out they're going to stop making all the stuff. When they say they're closing out the Horus Heresy, I would hope that would just mean that we're finally going to get those last, say, five or ten novels. I mean, it's taken taken horse a long time to get to Terra here. People, let's let's it's fifty books so far. So come on, we've got to get there eventually. They said eleven let's years and forty-five years. books. Well, they, yeah. So the seat they say the siege of Terra is getting ready to come. And so, you know, when you have a when you 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 are doing things in a timeline that has actually been closed, you don't really have a choice for that. But what I'm really interested in is because if you look at the timelines. You have that whole horse heresy timeline or that period, and then you have this period period after the horse heresy leading up to the return of Gilliman. And now we have a whole new era that we're existing in right now. 
And it, it'll be interesting to see where the story goes from here. Did you ever read the Beast Arises book series? I think it's 12 books. I have not. That's one that's set like right in the middle of the heresy and 40K as we know it, the 41st millennium. I'd be curious, and I, it's, it's on my eBay watch list. I'm looking for somebody to sell the whole set at a great discount, you know, somebody who doesn't want it on the shelf anymore. But I would be curious if in those books there's enough stuff to maybe have a new, a new setting you know, for maybe a little bit of new world building after they kind of wrap up the uh, the Horus Heresy storyline. Is there more, you know, grist for the mill, so to speak, in that middle period between uh, thirty and, and 40,000? Right, because a lot of things went on there. With that, we will take a short break. We'll come back with Section 2. Welcome, Scouts. Section 2. Welcome, Scouts talk about some stuff that is helpful to new players of the game and perhaps can shed some light on some topics for long-time veterans of battle in the 41st millennium. This episode, we're talking about tournament preparation. And the word that we're going to center in this section around is backtiming. I work in media production, so we're always talking about backtiming against a delivery date, meaning say you have a, you know, a commercial that has to hit the air on August 1st. Okay, so August 1st is like the drop dead due date, right? So our schedules build backwards from August 1st to see what needs to happen when in order to make sure that we're hitting that drop-dead due date on August 1st. So for tournament prep, my new way of thinking, I don't want to be doing anything prep-wise a night or two before a big trip like Nova or a night or two before a, you know, like a, a, a two-day tournament or whatever or, or a tournament at, even at a local shop. Tim, let me throw something in here. So we're using this, this word tournament. A little loosely here. What I think we really mean is when you're going to a convention or a larger uh, venue where you're going away. I'm using it to mean anything where you where it's going to take some logistics to get yourself out the door and to the event. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so back timing for me against getting to an event like Nova means that like a night or two before the event, the only thing I want to be doing is like printing stuff out. You know, until now, I've been reading the PDFs of the... Um, I've been just reading the PDFs of the primers for all the games that I'm playing. So I'm going to print them out. You know, I'm going to staple them together so I can walk in and be ready to play. I'm going to print out the lists. You know, I'm going to make sure all my notes are correct. I'm going to make sure my Excel spreadsheet didn't return to having some random symbol where it should be a wound number or a name of a model or whatever. I'm going to double-check all that stuff and print that out Monday or Tuesday. But until that point, like today, for instance, it's Sunday today when we're recording this episode. It is August 26th. We're leaving on Wednesday to get down to Nova. So today I just want to finish up everything model-wise. I want to arrange everything in their cases appropriately. You know, I use those battle foam cases. I'm going to put the right trays together. I'm going to get them in my living room and just leave them and try not to touch them until I'm ready to leave. Only thing I want to be doing a couple of nights before a big trip like this is making sure I have dice and tape and that everything is printed out so I can leave and not feel like I'm hustling myself out the door, not feel like I'm running to catch a plane or running to catch the train or whatever, or running just to get down to D.C. in time to check into the hotel and and relax for a bit. Let me give you a pro tip. All of those things that you want to print out and you need to print out, as you go through that process, print them to a PDF. Step one. Step two, especially for the Nova, all of those PDFs attach to one email and email it to yourself. Why? 
if anything goes wrong with your paper copies, they always have a computer and a printer available. And you can go there, log on, access that email, and reprint that file. That was uh, something that I learned. Go ahead. Also, they also print out primer books for us, don't forget. So if everything's going according to plan, you shouldn't even need any of those printouts. I have one I have, of the things I have that noticed, I noticed. I have noticed in years past that I, somehow, somehow I always lose these primer books. So I'm, I'm going to have my own. I'm going to have my own backup copies in my box. So when I do get the copy, when I walk in the door, I know I'm going to put it down somewhere and it's going to vanish. So I'm going I'm to be there with my backup. I have a tablet. So one of the things that I always do, in addition, because you know I agree with the book thing, I download the primer into my tablet. And so you know I because I, you know man, managing paper doing a tournament can be a challenge for me. And so I, I still need them. So and that's one of the things that I do. Carla, what were you going to say? The other thing that kind of sucks sometimes is when we sign up for Trios, we sign up as a team. So only one of us gets the Trios primer book. That's the thing I've noticed over. Yeah. Because I I don't know if you noticed, like the, I know the first year I didn't get it. I know last year there was some issue with the books where I didn't get some of the books I was supposed to get. But um, uh, they definitely only give that Trios primer book to the person that signs the team up. Gotcha. All right, that's good to know. Which, which is me, right? We are registered to play on Thursday. Is that correct? Right. Okay, good. Right, good. Let, let me let me tell you something that I'm doing differently. Because what I used to do is say, "Hey, I grab my Infinity bag," and then, "Hey, I grab my uh, War Machine bag," and then I, that's too much. So, and that's why my living room looks the way it is. My dining room looks the way it is. I'm trying to get all of the models into a concise set of bag, a bag or bags with all of my models and then up in the room I can separate them as I need to when I'm going to come down so I want to reduce my lug factor one of my biggest challenges is with packing so I have my jet bikes and they're really spindly and they tend to break a lot and so one of the things that I'm my, my new strategy is I have a Tupperware bin that's probably 24 26 inches high and I put all of this bikes just stood them up in there along with my night and then I filled it with popcorn. And so it's when I'm done, all my major, all my large oversized models will be in there and I'll be, I has a lid that seals and I'll be able to transport all of the larger models in there. And then I have my, I have a gray toolbox type case with inserts and I'm hoping to get every other model in there. So I'll be, I'll be rolling pretty much in terms of model transportation with the large piece of Tupperware and the um, the large piece of Tupperware in the case. That's my objective. And so I'll be playing one, two, three, four, five miniature games and only moving with two miniature cases. Let me ask a question. How, if we could go around, we are in the trios tournament. It's the three of us. How do you feel about the tournament? What have you done to prep? And what, do you, what you know, how, how is your level of preparedness feel? Tim? The weak link for me is is my lists. I did some pretty good list building last week. On what, Thursday night, I took out every single model that I owned regard, related to the Iron Hands and the Admech, put them on my dining room table. Every single one. Put them on the dining room table. I sat down with Battlescribe on my laptop and all the books related to those armies, and I started kind of tweaking some existing 2,000 and 1,000 point lists that I already had going. And then I started a couple of fresh lists so while at the end of the day today, I feel like all the models are going to be in good shape, I have a feeling 
that I might actually make some tweaks to my list tomorrow. I feel good about all the arrangements we've made so far. I feel good about how everything is going to look. Uh, I feel good about you know our chances of doing well in terms of presentation and narrative and hobby scores. Uh, but I feel like my list is, is going to need a little bit of tweaking probably you know tonight and tomorrow night before I can say, okay, now, now I feel like I'm really ready. Yeah. How about you, Carlo? Um, I feel like this question is really directed at me. <laughs> I wanted I've... to find some way to call him out without me. <laughs> Carlo? Um, I have a pretty bad track record of getting ready for the tournament, so uh, the convention. And I will continue that track record <laughs> in 2018. Oh, boy. When none of my stuff is ready oh until boy. a few hours before Wednesday. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's it. Carlo, you're the type of player who does... You, you keep up with the meta really well, I think. You you read a lot. You're, act, you're very active on forums and on Facebook and whatnot, so you know what people are talking about with regards to list building and everything. I think you do build lists, you know, and I guess what's stymieing your plans of being prepared in advance this year is the fact that the Space Wolves Codex just came out yesterday, and it's fair game for the, the narrative and for the trios events down in Nova. Yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty, like, it's really hard to build a list, like, three days ahead of time, like, with a codex that you don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just, I have, so, part, uh, 702 points of my list is my knight detachment, which is going to be consistent. Um, and then, uh, I have to fill out now, uh, before I was going to run an outrider with two Skyclaw packs and some Fenrisian wolves and a Wolfguard battle leader, but, um, the price of Fenrisian wolves went up and the battle leader with the jump pack also went up by a considerable amount. So, uh, before he was 63 points with a jump pack. Now he's 76 or something like that. Um, yeah so he'll he'll be uh 78 points now so it's a big jump 15 point increase and then fenrisian wolves went up uh by two points a model so my squad there went from 30 to 40 so i'm about 25 points over on my list now so i need to make uh some changes and room priest got a lot stronger so i want to put one of those in um, but it's just kind of a bummer cause I play tested this list a few times, uh, at other tournaments so, and it did really well for me. So, um, and so if you were to take the same list that you've been playing, you'd be overpointed. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I could have the option of taking the index cause the codex did come out Saturday, but, um, I don't know. I don't, I want to play with the codex. It's more fun. I got some stratagems. Like I'm, I'm more focused on having fun. I think. That's the thing about trios. All in all, we're there to have fun. So, and I wanna, I wanna have fun with my new codex. So, sorry, but go ahead, Lavelle. Yeah, first of all, go with the codex. I'm loving, loving the stratagems that the Space Wolves have. Definitely go with the codex. So, I want to tell you guys, I like our chances. <laughs> I like Here's your, opti- I like your optimism. <laughs> I like our chances. You know what the most important thing about this tournament here, and it has to do with the devious mind of Joe Capina. The way he has this worked out is all about the objectives you choose. And so it doesn't matter what the other guy has on the other side of the table if they choose the wrong objective or you don't choose the right one. And you make that choice 
after you've seen the list and you uh, you figure some things out at the beginning of the game. I have played that that tournament. It was run by the Basement War Gamers that I went to, where I tested my two thousand point list. It took me the second game to really figure out which objectives a an army could get and which I could de- effectively deny from across the table. And so I, I feel like I have a decent knowledge of that. I would not call it expert. And I feel like my 2,000-point list is going to be a problem for anybody except for that Castella Knight across the other end of the table. But even that one, I did score some points. Um, he, he had a, a Castellan, he had a, a Knight detachment, and it was all, um, what do they call, uh, uh, Mechanicus. And he, he was effective at shooting me off the table. And so when you look at all of those things, it, it really does give you more options. And I, I, like, I like my 2,000-point list with the changes. And I feel like just what I know about you both of your lists, my 1,000-point list is going to fit well with both of your lists. I like our chances across the board. By the I way, tell you, go ahead. can I say something real quick? Yep. Space Wolves have a stratagem that – uh, you know those stratagems that a lot of Space Marine chapters have where they can shoot at stuff that's coming in from Deep Strike, the intercept, Interceptor? Space Wolves have a stratagem where um, it's called Chooser the Slain. Use the stratagem immediately after your opponent sets up a unit arriving on the battlefield as reinforcements and is visible to a Rune Priest from your army. A single friendly unit within six inches of that Rune, rune Priest can immediately shoot at that enemy unit as if it were the shooting phase, but you subtract one from hit rolls. So any friendly unit. So if I'm next to a Castellan, that's friendly. He gets a free round of shooting. Wow. Right. So how I many think po- that how many, works how many with... command points is that? It's one. one. Or two. Wow. Two. 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 Most of their most of their <laughs> stratagems, um, more so than any of the other factions, most of them have uh, their stratagems are one point. They, they, you know, the, the space wolves is looking good. It's looking Interesting. good. Yeah, so that one's two points, sorry. But okay. uh, but like I could pick – I feel like your models would count as friendly, right, for a, a team game? I would imagine. Yes. So I could sit my Rune Priest back with your tanks, and I could pick like the – whatever your biggest, baddest tank is or like next to Lavelle's Castigator, and that Castigator could shoot at whatever's coming in. Yeah, I think we're really, really well positioned to have fun and to um to to be competitive. We were because last year we went, and this is a thing that I really didn't pay attention to. We went two one, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. But our points was not high enough to place us higher, right. and that's the thing that we you know I've got a better understanding of that. I think we'll we'll have a decent showing. Well, we were top table on that last game. Like the guys we played went on to win best uh like record i don't know what the we were top table but we got pushed all the way down yeah well based, we were... <laughs> based on our performance yeah i mean well we we won the first two matches pretty well and then that last round we got demolished because they remember it was like the magnus yes uh psyker thing that you guys played against and then yeah, i played against yeah. custodies and that's i don't right. think either that's of us right. scored any points that round that's right yeah so, yeah. 
Yeah, but you know what? That list in this current environment, because of the uh, FAQ, that list wouldn't be viable, would it? Correct. Yeah. So, so we're safe. We're safe. We're safe from that one. <laughs> yeah, but we got other problems. But we got other. <laughs> I, I think good. Um, the only thing, and every time we go into a tournament and we come out of a tournament, we say exactly what I'm getting ready to say. I wish we could have played more games together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, this summer has been crazy for the three of us for a lot of different reasons unrelated to Warhammer, but uh, but it will not it will not decrease our ability to have some fun. With that, we'll take a short break. We will return with Future History, where we're talking about Carlo's favorite Primarch, Magnus the Red. We'll be right back. That's... <laughs> Section 3, Future History. We're talking about Magnus the Red. Currently a demon prince of Zinch, but not always. Not always a demon prince of Zinch. He gets so little love, and maybe he doesn't deserve any love. So there's a quote here that I pulled off of the uh, one of the Wikipedia pages uh, about this fine character. There is no sin but ignorance, which is a great quote to attribute to Magnus the Red. Because his whole thing was arcane and currently forbidden knowledge. But him and the Thousand Sons of the pre-heresy era were all about attaining the sacred fruit of knowledge, if you will. So Magnus the Red was, you know, he's one of the one of the original batch of Primarchs that were cast out into the galaxy by the forces of chaos prior to their full maturation in the Emperor's genetic genetic Mr. Wizard laboratory in the Imperial Palace. He landed on a planet called Prospero, and he rose to power after exhibiting, and I think, you know, Prospero naturally kind of fostered folks' uh, psychic abilities, so he arrived there already with the edge of being a genetically engineered humanoid person. He was very big. He's, he's a big Primarch. He's, he's the big man, big red man. Um, so he arrives on, on Prospero, and he rose to power as a leader of Prospero after he defeated these psychic beasts called Psychneuin. I can't... I, does anybody know how to say that word? Psych... N-E-U-I-E-N? Nuin? Nuin? Psychneuin? Psych- it sounds close enough Yeah, to us. Let's, let's, call it, let's call them psychic beasts. Hold on, let's spend some more time uh, trying to figure out the nuance of this word. Right. <laughs> can we get Google to... Can, can, can you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. Can, you, can uh, you pronounce it? <laughs> we'll just speak the word. Alexa, Psychneuin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't access that information. Heck no, that is forbidden forbidden knowledge. <laughs> the emperor has forbade me. So, oh god, she's got No, she is actually going off over here. Shut up, Alexa. No, stop. So so uh, Magnus rises to power as a leader on the planet of Prospero, uh the city of Tisca and becomes primarch of the 15th legion after being discovered, rediscovered by the emperor on Prospero. So during the Great Crusade, he clearly manifests himself uh, as the most powerful human psyker after the emperor, the emperor, the most powerful human psyker after the emperor himself and Malkador the Sigilite. Malkador is still one of my favorite characters from the Heresy, but that we'll, we'll have a conversation about Mal- Malkador at a different time. I like how you combine them at first. Empador. Empador. <laughs> That's my new favorite 40k character. Empador. Empador. 
interesting. You know what? Maybe it's they're the totally, same person. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally possible because didn't like Malkador evaporate upon the Iron Throne, like trying to hold stuff together? You know, so like, yeah. so like maybe he like went back into the warp, but was intercepted by the Emperor's energy, and now they're both on the Iron Throne together in a near death state. I don't know. It's like some kind of Fight Club alter alternate ego kind of a deal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Malkador never actually existed. Yeah, uh, Flight Club spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so, so during the Great Crusade, right? Um, the Emperor eventually determined that uh, the Space Marine Legions could no longer use psychers. They he abolished the Librarians, which were the 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 piece of every Space Marine Legion that would foster, nurture, and kind of codify uh, psychers' abilities. Psyker's powers. The emperor, as he was emperoring, <laughs> did you know? Did quickly discovered that the more humans that were dabbling with the warp through using their psychic abilities, the worse off the galaxy was going to be. The worse off the Imperium was going to be, because no matter what, these were forces that were eventually going to become wild and uncontrollable. So during the Council of Nicaea. Nikea, N-I-K-E-A. No more psychers for the Space Marine Legions. Some legions just returned all their psychers, all of the Space Marines in their librariums, back to the ranks of normal Space Marines. Oh, and I thought you said they were going to like return them to the Emperor as like, but did they have the receipts kind of thing? Like, there, there's a lot of great bits throughout the Horus Heresy novels of psychers struggling with not using their abilities when they know they could save their brethren or humans or turn the tide of a battle, but they are bound by the council not to use their psychic abilities. So that automatically creates this great tension in the narrative of these, you know, very powerful psychic beings who were limited to, you know, to holding a bolt gun or to, you know, commanding a flyer or what have you and not using their, you know, emperor-granted, if you will, abilities in the psychic space. Oh, they totally still did though. Yeah, yeah, there were there were there were occasions when they did, yeah. And I think one of the one of the biggest occasions when they did is right here in the story of Magnus the Red and the Thousand Sons. So they're named the Thousand Sons because they were the first Thousand Sons of Magnus that made up the uh made up the original Thousand Sons Legion. So fast forward a little bit, after the Council of Nicaea, okay fine. Thousand Sons are really pretty salty about being told they can't use their psychic abilities because they are all about their psychic abilities. Um, and then Horus rebels. He becomes corrupted by the power of chaos, and Magnus finds this out. And Magnus, despite the fact that he's got his finger on the pulse of, of arcane and forbidden knowledge, until this point has been extremely loyal to the Emperor. Won a lot of great victories throughout the Great Crusade. Was really a, an exemplary Primarch and leader of a great legion of very powerful space marines. Until the Horus Heresy broke out. And remember now that, you know, you could argue that all of the Primarchs were touched by chaos in some fashion at the moment they were stolen from the Emperor and cast out throughout the galaxy. And maybe the point that could be made that Magnus was especially, you know, he was deeply affected by that initial encounter with Chaos when he was sent out to Prospero. So when, when, when Magnus learned of Horus's rebellion, 
he kind of he, he he freaked out. You know, he saw the urgency of the situation. He went to you know DefCon. He went DefCon five, like immediately, right? He thought, okay, I need to get a message to the emperor. You know, post haste, right? He could have done the legal thing, which is to use astro telepathy, to use the the, the you know the astro telepaths at his disposal to send a message to the imperial palace on Terra, warning the emperor of this uh, pending threat. But that is a slow and not always reliable method of transportation or a method of communication in the uh, right around the 30th millennium. So what he decides to do is he gathers up a, a team of his most powerful sorcerers and basically teleports his own consciousness into the Imperial Palace, into the throne room to which the Emperor had returned after the, uh, the triumph at Ulanor to fight a battle that he could not fight out in the galaxy amongst his Space Marine legions. He was waging a different war. So Magnus teleported maybe teleported, but Magnus projected... He astrally projected, yeah. He, yeah, he astrally... That's, that's a good word for it. That's very Thousand Sunsy. Um, Magnus <laughs> astrally projected his consciousness into the Emperor's throne room. Unfortunately, in doing so, it was basically like turning on a light switch in a room that you wanted to keep dark. It was basically like flicking the open sign on in a, in a, in a, in a convenience store that had closed in the middle of a dark street, all of a sudden, when Magnus arrived in the Emperor's throne room, he had harnessed so much of the power of the warp to get his consciousness there that it basically turned on a light for the powers of chaos, saying, here is the Emperor, here is his throne room, come on in. The moment at which he arrives in the Emperor's throne room is an awesome scene at the beginning of the Emperor of... or the Master of Mankind, which is a more recent... Horus Heresy novel by Aaron Dembski-Bowden. The, the first chapter, it's almost a, a prelude, is Magnus arriving in the throne room, and he just says, Father. And in the middle of all, the middle of his arrival, you know, thousands of people are killed instantly because he basically tears this huge hole in reality in order to get his consciousness into the throne room. And people are shooting at him, and the custodians are gathered around the emperor, and all hell is breaking loose. All, all, all warp is breaking loose, if you will. And he just wants to deliver this message to the emperor. So he's trying to do the right thing. Can, can I jump in here? This whole thing is the emperor's fault. And look, please, 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 no attacks. Let me explain. Let me explain. Explain what you're going to explain in context of where we are in the story, because I'm not finished. Absolutely. The story yet. So no, Absolutely. no spoilers yet. Yeah. Right. Also, also, they should have should have totally used those ravens from Game of Thrones, because those things can get across like large amounts of space really quickly. So, I feel like he, that. He, here's the thing. So the Emperor taught, or he exposed Magnus up to up to this point. He had exposed Magnus to the warp. Even though Magnus had psychic ability, Magnus wasn't really – I think what was at issue was not just pure psychic ability, but people delving into the warp and harnessing that ability in its raw form. And he had told Magnus, hey, you, I'm showing you this, but you, you can't use it. I'm just going to show it to you. And so the emperor was doing this thing. I want to back up. I thought what the emperor was trying to do – was access the webway and therefore give everybody 
uh, everybody in the Imperium access to the greatest tool that the Eldar had used, which was the Webway, because that's what made the Eldar uh, get the upper hand and the 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 war with the, the the war of the old ones. But that's what he was trying to do. And here's the thing, though. At this point, we know the Emperor is the single most powerful psyker in the Imperium. But he couldn't foresee this. That's, yeah. my, that's my first point. He's a my terrible point, father. Yeah, he is. Yeah. But here's my <laughs> second point, that, and which goes to what Carlo just said. He had to have known his son. He had to have known the nature of Magnus. When he made his determination, he kind of cut off the entire nature of Magnus. And he had to have known how he would react. There were a lot of different things that he could have done to include Magnus, to support him in what he was done. He probably got more success. But he kept so many things away from the, the, the people, his, his primarchs. And it, it, that was the major cause of the confusion and the breakdown in communication. When he withdrew from the battlefield and put Horace in charge, he didn't just withdraw from the battlefield and put Horace in charge. He withdrew and he stopped paying attention which is kind of strange for the greatest psyker among mankind. He, he stopped paying attention and things went to hell in the handbasket. I also think what he saw, right, was, I'm, I'm talking about Magnus, was he saw um, Horus fall and he came back to, and, the, and he saw the repercussions of that and he came back to say, hey, this is going to happen to Horus, we got to do something about it. And that was just totally ignored. Yes, he came in and thousands of people died. Yeah, but let's talk about why you came in. You know what, son? I get it. You shouldn't have did it. You're going to be grounded. But but that's not how the emperor responded. That's my two cents. It's kind of like uh, when you and your brother uh, get in a disagreement about uh, something and run to your parents and your parents punish you for whining about it. <laughs> so Lavelle, you're right in a couple of things about what you just said. So you're right in your limited, ignorant way. No. There's, a, there, there's. Let me let me shed some light on your uh, lack of illumination. Um, <laughs> so there's a great quote from uh, Eldrad Ulthran of the Ulthway uh, Eldar. He says. The fact that he can see into the future, you know, and the way the Eldar view it is these skeins of possibility, these different threads of possibilities. He could see there are a lot of potential things that could happen, but oftentimes he cannot see exactly which one will happen. So he can, so the Emperor, I think, can see a number of things that are potentials, but not the exact certainty of what is going to come, of what is to, of what is to, to come. So I think, why didn't the Emperor know? that Magnus was going to bug out and do this and come back to Terra to warn him. I think he knew that was an option. Didn't think it would happen because Magnus was extremely loyal. And in his loyalty, would not have broken with the Council of Nicaea. And that's my which, argument to that point. Which I just want to say was clearly wrong. But at the same time, this... doesn't, doesn't, doesn't what Magnus did prove that the abolishment of Psykers was absolutely necessary? No. Because as we see what played out, they could not even compete against what was coming without Psykers. And it actually weakened the Imperium because their most powerful Psykers was taken out of the equation. That's a good point. That's a good point. So here, here's the thing, though. 
let me let me say this. One of the problems, and I love I love observing this. One of the problems with the Imperium is the strictly myopic way it views things. Now that behavior is ingrained in the Imperium, but you don't expect to see it in the Emperor. But we see it all the time. True. I have to believe I have to believe that there was, and I believe this. Do you remember when Alpharius? Or maybe it was Omega and one of them. When it might have been both of them. When they met with those aliens. Yeah, the Cabal. Yeah. Right. When they met with the Cabal, I, you have to believe that there is enough going on for us to reasonably conclude there are there is another machine at work. And I'm not talking about chaos. There's there's something else at work in this environment that's making uh, best way I can describe it. Great and powerful men make very poor decisions. Because even going, even teleporting himself there was a poor decision. We knew, we know that Magnus had already been compromised and that he had made the, he had taken the deal with, uh, I guess it was a Damon, it might have been a guy, to save, quote unquote, save his legion. And he was openly, you know, the tutelaries, if I'm saying that word right, they were demons, although we didn't know it. Right. And they're floating around. Hey, how can I help you? Yeah, right. Sure. So, but, but Magnus and Magnus is absolute, not just Magnus, his entire legion is guilty of incredible hubris. But isn't which, that hubris, isn't that hubris from the fact that they thought they could control these beings that they were meeting as they entered those, the, what do they call them, the enumerations, you know, the upper and lower enumerations, I guess, which means psychic proximity to, you know, the hell of the warp, right? I feel like... It was because they thought they knew and understood everything. Oh, right. we can understand everything. So, sure. you know, hey, we, we got this totally under control. So that was one thing. At the same time, the Space Wolves, yes, I'm saying this, Carlo, were stricken with jealousy. Because it was a distinct, it, it, was a, it, it was an ability that was not based on physical might and prowess. And it had the, it, it could exert a great influence in battle that had nothing to do with training or well that t- physical training which they excelled at because even at the time they're using psychic ability uh, they're calling, no they're it's, not, they're not it's calling magic. it psychic ability right <laughs> oh. oh well is it's this nature nature magic there's some important we're, semantic differences there <laughs> we're like yeah so i mean all of these things are kind of are churning together and meanwhile right Meanwhile, when people needed help most, they were cutting away their resources. Let me tell you one thing I don't understand. Why didn't Hor- Why didn't Magnus go to Horus? Yeah, he could have just blown him up with his mind. No, he could have. <laughs> I think he saw the fall of Horus before he fell. Yeah, he could have talked him off the ledge maybe, sure. I thought, um, was it before he fell? Because I could have sworn that uh, Horus was the one that intercepted the message from the Emperor to the Space Wolves to go get Magnus. Well, I think I, I think at that point there's a couple of different degrees to which Horus was falling. It's a thing. If Sanguinius, remember, there were three there were three people who voted for continuing the librarian study, and that was obviously Magnus, Sanguinius, and Jagatai Khan. All three of them were like, hey, well, you know, we got something here. We Maybe we should use it. And I'm saying, all I'm saying is if Sanguinius said it, that should have been enough. 
I was just there, debating the perfect oh, one. Boy, oh boy. It's, it's hard to have these conversations <laughs> with biases coming into the play. Let, let, let's rewind a second because uh, your other point, Lavelle, is correct, right? The, um, the emperor did return to Terra and did build his throne room basically on top of a webway portal because he knew that in the future salvation for mankind would come from not having to use the warp for interstellar transportation and it, it could also potentially create a safe haven from the powers of chaos from the powers of the immaterium which the Eldar, Dark Eldar and Harlequins uh, were really familiar with because they had had their civilization largely uh, they had big chunks of their civilization that exist, existed exclusively in the webway and the webway is more than just a series of tunnels, right? They're vast you know, maybe system-sized chambers within this alternate dimension of the webway in which entire cities and civilizations basically could thrive. So the Emperor saw the webway, just like the Eldar did, as an opportunity to, for safe harbor from the, uh, the powers of the Immaterium. And by not having to use psychers and not having to use navigators to get through interstellar space, we could therefore prevent the threat of, of humans and space marines alike being corrupted by the powers of chaos. So Magnus astrally projects himself into the throne room. All hell breaks loose there. It's a beacon turned on for the forces of chaos. That entire battle is outlined in that book, uh, The Master of Mankind. Awesome story. It's just a one big, you know, just crazy shoot 'em up, right? In response for Magnus's breaking with the Council of Nicaea, he sends the space wolves out. He sends the dogs after him. He sends the Lehman Russ and the space wolves to Prospero because this was such a such a a crime. Let's just call it what it is, right? And this is returning to that uh, to viewing the the space wolves as kind of the police of the uh, Space Marine Legions. They w- were sent to Prospero to basically raise it and you know teach the final lesson to the Thousand Sons and to Magnus. Well, doesn't he tell the uh, Lehman Russ to bring Magnus back to pay for his crimes? And I think Horus intercepts the message and changes it to kill them, basically. It's pretty interesting. Um, and Lehman Russ falls for that trick, which is why a lot of people... Like, originally, Magnus wasn't supposed to be the target of an assassination, you know what I mean? Of an execution. So he he, sh- he was supposed to come back with Layman and face uh, the emperor for his crimes. But that's not how it played out. No, he broke his back. Layman stepped on a crack and broke his back. Broke his back. Layman Russ brings justice, quote-unquote, to Prospero. Destroys Tisca, this glimmering city of crystalline pyramids. Whoops ass. Left, right, and center. In the final battle, you know what? Can, can we stop the propaganda? Because it wasn't just him. There were custodes, sisters of silence. Yeah, that's yeah. True. No, he beat up Magnus. No, that's true. But it was a good yeah. battle. That's true. Got to give credit where credit is due. He was not alone in this effort. Wasn't there one? There were like like two custodes, right? Or something like that, or one. Um, they they would not have been able to been, be successful at all if not for the sisters. That's true. Yeah, the sisters did a lot because they right. were on the front lines stopping all the psychic ability right. in a similar right. way that they work in Lavelle's army. Exactly. Yeah. See, and unfortunately for you, we if we go against the Thousand Suns army on uh, 
Thursday, we might be replicating that, and you'll <laughs> just, just reinforce I'm just the down narrative. Lehman Russ breaks Magnus's back, is about to deliver the killing blow. Magnus vanishes in a poof of purple-bluish smoke and takes himself and a good chunk of his legion to the planet of the sorcerers in the Eye of Terror, basically a chaos world rife with psychic magical potential. Isn't it funny that like the most powerful psyker, like the second most power- powerful psyker in the Imperium, utilizes a cheap magic trick to escape? <laughs> <laughs> he goes back to his basics. Yep, yep. Now, now you see me. Now you don't. Now here's the, here's the other thing. So all of this story is really really good, but it, when you look at it like the in in this one view, it does look like Magnus was wrong, and I'm not saying Magnus was right. But there was a bigger picture that you have to consider. One, when his people, when his legion, when they were being horribly deformed because they had an unstable gene seed, nobody was helping him do something about that, which didn't make sense to me. I think that the, 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 their gene seed might have been, at that time, the most unstable gene seed. When he came back, when they found them, they were already like that. And they, they, they thought it would stabilize with the injection of his original um, gene seed back into the, 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 the legion, but it didn't. And, you know, so he, he crafts this deal to stabilize the gene seed, or so he thinks, with this knowledge from the warp god. Was that Zinch that gave it to him? So, but this goes on and the emperor doesn't know? Yes, that's exactly what happens. The emperor does not know. He knows this is a possibility, but again... And this is, you know, one of the great tensions, I'll use that word again, in the Horus Heresy. All this is so unfathomable to the rank and file, the way the Imperium was running right around this time period, you know, Great Crusade era Imperium, is that this was, this was an unimaginable possibility. This was a possibility, granted, and you're right in saying that the Emperor was probably aware of the fact that this could happen. But just like the rest of the Imperium, this was the, this was the unfathomable thing to have happened. Are we talking about the Emperor of Mankind, greatest uh, psyker we've known, or Leroy Jenkins? <laughs> I'm losing a lot of my faith here. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't make excuses for him, but I think he was aware of many possibilities, but not the penultimate, not the one that is going to happen. So, like the absent-minded he, professor. <laughs> here's my question, okay? So, if we look along the continuum of uh, traitor legions. Okay, look. And so Horace made his switch, right? And after Horace made his switch, he started recruiting his brothers. Some of these guys, like Horace tripped, and after Horace tripped, it, the, the uh, it, what is it, the world eaters? You could say that the word bearers actually tripped oh. first. Oh, yeah, because Lorgar was like... So what happened was, I think um, Lorgar had, like, dedicated these cities to the emperor, right? And then um, the emperor wanted him to move on and not spend so much time, like, cultivating these um, trophies to him, basically. Yeah, at that time, the, the emperor was trying to impress the point that he was not a god. And and Lorgar and the word bearers, would, they were having a hard time getting their minds around the fact that they couldn't worship the emperor as a god. Yeah. But yeah. they say, what do you mean, god? Yeah, right. yeah. Said, no, I'm not a god. What do you, what do you mean, mean god? god? Is there yeah. a message in this for us? Right. 
that bird didn't want to be worshipped anymore and he wanted we're gonna move on basically like like it's like he was like hey daddy look what i did and the emperor was like get out of here yeah you dummy no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and then the emperor, you know, sent sent uh, space wolves out to destroy those cities. Here, here's the thing: how many of these guys would have not have tripped onto the other side, except for the actions? And, and these, the, the the thousand suns, to me, seem clear. They could have been really useful. I heard that. I don't know. But they did. But they did. They See, did they, not. They, they had their asses kicked. What else See, did they I think, do? I think every argument that, that, to the point, every argument that says that Magnus did nothing wrong, he became a demon prince of Zinch. What choice I mean, did he have? That, that kind of takes <laughs> all argument that he was a good guy off the table. Even after, you know, teleporting himself to the planet of the sorcerers, taking a deep breath out there, he didn't like say, okay, I'm going to send an astro-telepathic message to the throne room. I'm going to see if I can work this out with Dad. No, he said, okay, Lord of Change, come on in here with your double bird head. One second, hold on. When Dad sends his assassin after you, he pretty much know where you stand. Yeah. You know, that's what the Space Wolves were designed to do from the beginning, to check other legions. So, you know, you could clearly see what he really felt. You know, I don't know that he had a choice. I'm not saying he was right. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is the entire burning of Prospero was the classic example of the Imperium shooting itself in the foot. I don't disagree with that. I think a lot of this, you know, in future hindsight, in future history, right? <laughs> I love you. Like, you know, could obviously have been handled very differently. But again, this was a world of absolutes, right? This was a very black and white situation. And the things that unfolded and the things that happened were the unfathomable options of what could have happened. I mean, I think the emperor had enough crash. He blows a thousand people die with battle. I can't believe this crap. Tell Magnus to come here now. You know, I can do it. It's okay if I smoke, son. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. I can control warp. You yeah. can't. It's the old I learned. I, it's, it's the, I learned it from watching UPSA all over yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> so he, here's my thing. I think of all the stories, and there are lots of different stories, but all the stories, um, the one uh, in terms of the falling, like Motarian was probably, he was a jackass. Right. That, really, that was no, but, no surprise. Yeah, yeah. He was really good at what he did, but he was still a jackass. And the thing about it is, though, you know, of all the people who shouldn't have been put into the other category, it was it's probably the Thousand Sons. Not to mention that the Thousand Sons could have probably been far more effective fighting for the Imperium. I agree. It would have taken because at the end, as we can see right now, at the end we got psychers all over the place. Now, now, now's a good time for my personal PSA on psychers. But we don't know how far off we are from looking back and saying, "Wow, look how close we were to total destruction because of all these psychers." Right, because yeah. th th this was the thing that the Catan told the Necron, "Hey, are, are you guys seeing what these guys over here are doing? That's not a good thing." Because they, that stuff on the warp doesn't mix well with our stuff at all. And so, you know, this shouldn't be going on. Um, and so one of the problems is they've, they've kind of opened the gate, and there is real no real way to close it. The ultimate goal of the psychic realm is to get rid of our realm, 
because our realm is an anomaly. And, you know, every time we kind of go down that path, that's what we do. That's why the greatest warriors in the Imperium, the Custodes, don't use psychers. <laughs> Let's save that discussion for section four, which is going to come up right after this short break. Stay tuned. So this question kind of came up uh, among me and my sons and as we drove and violently debated the, uh, <laughs> the whole 40K uh, history and swerved the car all over the place. This, is, this was my statement, and you tell me if this is not correct. All of the Primarchs were created not in process, but in terms of stu- substance differently. Each one had a different thing about them. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah. Okay, so Justin's comment was that all of them were created the same, and the planets that they ended up landing on shaped how they came out. But my my argument was that even while they were away, the legions who was made off for their original gene seed was different. Each legion was different. And when the emperor created all of the legions, they were each designed to do a different thing and collectively uh, allow for success in the Great Crusade. Is my thinking correct? I think that is correct. Okay. So when he created Magnus, Magnus had to have been created with the potential, at least, for great psychic ability. So now if you create this guy for this, why are you telling this guy not to do this? Because it wasn't until after he was around that it became clear that the the powers present in those upper enumerations that the Thousand Sons had access to were not they were not going to be people friendly. <laughs> that they were going to work at odds with the they were going to be at odds with the Imperium, no matter what the Thousand Sons thought they could control. Okay. Here's also, my next Haven't you ever cooked dinner and had it come out tasting terribly? Never. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Here's my next question. Um, Each gene seed, each Space Marine chapter that has a flaw, you know, unlike the Space Marines who have none, I mean the uh, Ultramarines who have none, (laughs) each one that has a flaw, was that flaw originally in the gene seed? So specifically, the, the Red Thirst... Was that there before Sanguinius fall fell? That's a good question. We could I, we could not find a definitive answer. That's a good question. Today. Because and during the Red Thirst, it said that the the Blood Angels are reliving the Battle of Sanguinius. Correct? Yes. Is that the Red Thirst or the Black Rage? The Red Thirst, Red I Thirst thought, is that, led yeah, okay. to the Black Rage. Okay, right. And the Black Rage is when the Red Thirst can't stop. I gotcha. thought that's how it works. Gotcha. But yes, that is that is a recollection of that huge psychic blast that occurred when Sanguinius was felled by Horus. Yes. So I'm that's... trying to figure out what, it, it, during that time, what did, um, what would, did they have a flaw? The angels are pretty damn perfect, but I think it was okay. just a propensity no. towards rage and close combat. I think that was... Well, I, I, I just looked this up online. I, I, I might be incorrect here. It says the red thirst is their craving for blood. A vampiric craving for blood. And the black rage must be them reliving that. The that black rage is when, is like when the death company go crazy, right? 
Um, I wish I would have. I wish I would have brought up my my Blood Angels Codex from the basement. Let's look it up. So you know that that's what I was trying to figure out. Um, but I think to, to, your, to, there to, to your larger question, I think that yes, the the twenty original legions were created based on twenty different traits of the emperor and therefore of humanity that would be necessary to secure humanity's safe place in the galaxy. And I think that those flaws were also inherent in the fact that this was still human genetic material. So every one of those 20 different traits, 20 different uh, pieces of a person would still carry the flaw that is present in all people, no matter how good natured we are. So listen, the Black Rage, I'm reading this, the Black Rage overcomes the Blood Angel Angel, as the memories and consciousness of Sanguinius intrudes upon his mind and in the dire events that led to there. So the Black Rage is like the psychic blacklash that they get. And the Red red Thirst is just their need for blood. Yeah. So Sanguinius had the Red Thirst? Yeah. Dare you speak of the perfect one like that. (laughs) He did. He was perfect, but he he did like a... He did like that blood sausage. (laughs) (laughs) He said it's a destructive yearning, a genetic. It says deep within the psyche of every blood angel and every bearer of their primarch sanguineous genetic legacy is this destructive yearning, a battle fury and blood hunger that must be held in abeyance in every waking moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, I'm telling you, you guys need to just chuck it in and become necrons. (laughs) We can get rid of all this stuff. Eventually we might. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Warhammer 60,000. Everybody's a Necron. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet! And nobody's nobody's moving at all. It's a real boring game. And I'll be ready for it. I'll be ready for it. It's a real boring game. It's just two players staring at each other across an empty table. (laughs) Sweet! It's going to be great. It's a tomb world. Nobody needs to do anything. We're so misunderstood as next. <laughs> All right, section four, tactical upload. First thing we're going to talk about is this new Space Wolves Codex. Carlo, you started to allude to some of the new fun stuff that you're looking forward to trying out next week at Nova. But kind of give us a, give us a little glimpse at some of the things that, uh, that, uh, that people should be excited for with the arrival of this Space Wolves Codex. Uh, I think the first thing, um, I guess this isn't very tactical, but the artwork and the lore in the book is really awesome. Like some really great <clears throat> pictures. Sorry, I'm getting over uh, sinus infection, by the way, so I'm a little well. But uh, you sound very space wolfy, which is good. Very sp- yes. The biggest is page three So these are new. Uh, these are new pieces of artwork, which is always nice to see in a codex. Yeah. Yeah, there are a few that I haven't seen before, for sure. I mean, there's definitely some Primaris artwork in here, which looks really cool. Um, uh, some Fenrisian wool, some wolfen artwork and stuff. Um, so that's the first section that's really cool about it. Um, I am kind of on the fence about this codex. There are some things I really like about it, and there are some things I really don't like about it. Um, so we did only get six relics, which a lot of other... Uh, I feel like a lot of other codexes got more than that. I don't know how many Space Marine codex got. But uh, most other books got somewhere between 12. Like I, In the Imperial Knights book, there's like three pages of relics. So. Yeah, six is kind of low. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Space Wolves 
had some really cool relics in seventh edition, which I really liked using. Um, uh, I used to use Fangsword the Ice Wolf a lot, and I didn't see that again in here. So uh, that was a bummer not to see some of those relics come back. Um, uh, I really like Primaris stuff. Um, I did just build a few of them. Uh, I like the rules for them. They seem like kind of a very durable uh, troop unit that you can throw out there on objectives and can kind of take a couple punches. Um, and uh, I like how they gave us the option to make Primaris Rune Priests, Primaris Wolf Priests. Um, they gave us uh, Primaris like versions of all of our HQs, basically, which is really cool. Um, we uh, got our... I guess the first thing I should really talk about is our chapter tactic or faction tactic or whatever because we're not codex compliant right so uh we get a plus one to hit if we charge are charged or heroically intervene and we can heroically intervene six inches instead of three both of those are huge yeah that's the old back charge and plus one back plus one attack oh yeah, yeah. so um I really, I mean, the plus one that hits awesome. I did some number crunching, and uh, units of blood claws can really put out a ton of, like, because uh, when the codex f first, like, dropped, like, the information on it dropped, like, a week ago, people were comparing them to blood angels a lot. So um, if you compare the volume of attacks that we get on most of our units versus their... Um, so if you take like a, a tactical squad of blood angels and you take um, a unit of blood claws, we get three attacks for their one. So and with the plus one to wound, if you go ten for ten, the, the blood uh, angels are always going to come out better. But if you go, um, if you base it against like even points, we've got the troops versus their troops, we actually come out a little bit better on how many wounds we do so and it works carlo. out really well with how many horde armies are out there what's up Car carlo i'm 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 confused so if a, a space wolf unit charges they get an extra attack is that correct? no no they or, get an extra okay. so the blood claws get an extra attack uh that's our our troop like our basic troop right they get um one attack base plus one for charging and plus one for chainsword so they get three attacks on the charge. And then and you, you're hitting all those on twos now to the threes because of the uh, fac faction tactic. Oh, okay. So hold on. Because so, that's a different thing that I was getting asked. You get plus, and you get an additional attack, and you get plus one on that attack roll. Right. The, the chapter tactic is that they get plus one to hit. So everything in our army is hitting on twos now. If it's infantry, biker, cavalry, or dreadnought, so um, and then so anything with a thunder hammer is hitting on base weapon skill because it's negating that minus, so which is ridiculous. And did um, you say something else about a plus to wound or what? So blood angels. A lot of people were comparing the space wolves to the blood angels um, to see what was better in a competitive standpoint because blood angels get plus one to wound on charge charge or heroic intervene so um i did some number crunching and i found that like as it scales up like so from against like a toughness four target with a three up save 
blood claws will put out more d- damage uh, because of that that they have so many attacks versus a blood angels tactical squad. So the numbers are in uh, your favor versus the blood over the blood angels. Yeah. Right. Until you get in the toughness eight targets. So, um, but, uh, the, uh, where was I going with that? Yeah. So that, that I like that a lot. I like, so I'm going to have to bring some more troops definitely. And, uh, it's unfortunate it doesn't apply to Fenrisian wolves, but you know, uh, they often don't get a lot of the buffs that, the rest of the space wolves get so um uh dreadnoughts uh you could get some pretty cool options now so on the uh they have a new a new dreadnought called the uh wolfen dreadnought so it can take uh the double claws it could take um a shield with a claw a shield with an axe or uh axe with a claw now so it has a few different options it could take they did make the invol save one worse so it's invol is a four up instead of a three up now which has caused a lot of uh space wolves players to be a little bit dismayed about that but i mean and i could see why it's it was a a big um popular unit in the uh index it was like one of the only good things we had so it sucks to see like some of the good stuff we have get nerfed in the codex but it is what it is. Um, not a lot, like a lot of stuff changed in points. So we had quite a few things go up in points. Uh, Fenrisian Wolves went up in points. Some of our HQs went up in points. Um, some stuff went down in points, I heard. I haven't found an example of it. But um, I think there are a few units that did decrease in points. Um, some of our weapon options went away. But we did get a bunch of access to new stratagems and psychic powers and uh, some of them are really cool. So uh, we got a psychic power called murderous hurricane, which we've always had, but now it does something different than it did in seventh. So uh, you target a unit within 18 inches and that unit suffers. uh, So you roll a, a D six for each model in that unit. And then on a six, they take a mortal wound. So if you have a unit of 30 gene stealers, you're rolling 30 dice, and on sixes, it does that many mortal wounds. Um, there's a spell called Living Storm. So uh, closest unit within 18 inches, uh, you sorry, um, you manifest a psychic power, and then it does D3 damage to that unit. And if that unit is uh, completely destroyed, it bounces to the next closest enemy unit within 18 inches and does another D3 and keeps going as long as it keeps destroying units. And there's a, there's a stratagem you could spend for one CP where if you have two other rune priests, so if you have like, it's like a, um, a Wordstorm Brotherhood kind of thing. So if you have three rune priests within six inches of each other, it changes that damage from D3 to D6. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. That's going to make for some really cool positioning options, like getting yourself so that unit within 18 inches is a smaller numbered unit to kind of bounce that effect around. That's really cool. Yeah, so you want to like throw jump packs on those guys and like give them a lot of mobility, move them around. Uh, uh, there's some like fluffy stuff. So there's a stratagem called Laugh in the Face of Death, where um, 
Use a stratagem in the fight phase. Choose a space infantry bike or, or cavalry unit from your army that is affected by an enemy unit's ability that modifies their leadership. You can reroll all failed hit rolls for space wolves unit in this phase. There's some stuff you can do with long fangs. A lot of other uh, podcasts have been talking about that stuff, so I won't go too far into it. Um, Carlo, is that um, Wolf and Dreadnought a new model? Uh, no, it'll be built with the same kit that the other three uh, space wolf dreadnoughts are built with. Trying to see, we got access to the primaris, like I said, vehicles. The Stormfang gunship uh, weapon went down 50 points. So that's quite, that's, I guess that's a big decrease. The, you know, the Hellfrost Destructor. So they're the two, the two flyers, and I always use the, the transport. Well, the gunship version, the points went down on it. So they're making that more of a tantalizing option to take. So. But did its effectiveness go down? No, it's the same gun. So the only thing I thought they were going to do, so they released a relic for us that, like, when they gave the preview of it, it had Hellfrost working on a four-up. And then in the Codex, it does that on the relic, but then all the other Hellfrost still work the same. So it's like, if you if this weapon deals an unsaved wound to a model... You roll a d6, and on a six, it does a mortal wound. Um, I just don't see that. Like it's so rare for that to happen, and it only happens when a model has multiple wounds. So it's kind of like it's often, most of the time, useless. You know, so it's just kind of a bummer that that's our mortal wound because every army has an ability like that, right? So. Hey, Carlo, did you get the deck? I did. Okay. Um, I'm always I'm always telling people the deck can help you get organized. It's all about yeah. the deck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to say I, one thing about the Space Wolves in terms of the lore that I that really just makes my mouth drop and amazing. Bjorn the fell handed. Yeah. He oh, is he, the, he went down in points, by the way. It, he's just an amazing concept. He is the oldest living warrior. Um is he older than 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 Gilliman? Uh, about the same age, I think, because he's ten thousand years old. He was in the original Thirteenth um, uh, Company. Yeah, that's yeah, just that's amazing. Rough. And he's still walking around talking. About that. What you said? No, that's not how it went down. Uh, yeah, I guess good. so. Dreadnoughts though are put into like a kind of like a deep sleep when they're not in use, so right? Right. So he he has not ten thousand years of experience. But it's ten thousand years old, I guess. Yeah, right. they wake him up at the beginning of every century so he can hold court and tell his story. And when things are really, really bad, they they bring him out. But one of the things that was it's interesting, they talk about when an inqu- the Inquisition came to uh, Fenris, and they were there was a big battle getting ready, and they they woke him up to negotiate. Um, the, the the Inquisition was there with the Grey Knights, but they woke him up to negotiate a settlement. Oh, so he's like the washed-up uh, hostage negotiator with the long beard, that, like. <laughs> I, no, I think like, like Bruce Willis. I think you know you hostage. can say whatever you want, but when you <laughs> see a guy this old, they said, "No, actually, I, I saw the emperor on the battlefield." <sighs> That's not what he said. <laughs> Grandpa's telling his crazy yeah. stories again. He said, yeah, he said, "Let them eat cake." Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, he's like one of the best models we have for sure though um uh they also gave us some new warlord traits 
um, which you have to download online because the ones in the book they decided to um, errata. Really? So yeah, so the ones that are in the book are not valid. So you have to download an, a page on uh, a PDF issued out by GW. Um, but they are uh, pretty good. So each each warlord trait does its thing, and then there's a a deed that you can accomplish. And when you accomplish that deed, it gives his warlord trait as a six inch buff. So, like one of them is it gives him. Let me see if I can bring it up here. So add one to the attacks characteristics of all models if it charge, charge, or perform heroic intervention. And then if you slay five models in the fight phase with your Warlord, and it's cumulative from turn to turn, so you could do three this turn and two next turn, then you have five, um, it applies that plus one attack to every model, every unit within six inches. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like my personal opinion is a lot of that stuff is going to be very hard to accomplish within a time frame where it will be useful. But I, I think it will be it's very fluffy and cool and in some friendly games I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. But I think in a in a very competitive game it's not gonna be um, game changing. Because a lot of that stuff I feel like I mean and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel personally I feel the most important parts of the game are turns one and two. And by turn one and two a lot of stuff's dying and being taken off the table. And that's when you need those buffs going off and your important strategies. Strategy so, use and, yeah. You know. So I'm going to say something counter to that. So I agree that you have to turn, you, you, you have to survive in a strong position turns one and two. And you can lose the game and turn one and two. But I believe turn three and four is where victory is had because on turn three, if you survive, your reserves come in and they can swing the battle. And the other thing is if you're not playing for turn four, what you have is a last-ditch stretch for objectives that, you know, if you haven't, for example, eliminated that rhino that delivered troops and ran to the back, because it's objective, you you know what it's going to do. It's it's denying you getting into the backfield, and it's going to race up and grab an objective. I think turns the game can be lost on turn two and three, but th I believe that if you have not lost the game, let's assuming ne neither you nor your opponent has made a mistake. What will happen is uh, victory is actually achieved in turns three. And turns four, and that's when you regret those turns right there, mainly four, that you went first. Because on, if you're going first, you got a chance to punch him in the face and eliminate, you know, object, eliminate uh, his his assets. But if he has that resilience at that turn, at that time on turn four, and you know, that's when you see because they have the second turn, they. You know what I'm saying? They have the, you know, you have the top of the turn, the bottom of the turn. Because they have the bottom, you can respond. The objectives, this is really important. Pay attention. The objectives and the trios mission packet, they require you to have the objective at the beginning of your turn. 
that means you can't go out there and get that turn, get that objective and score it. You got to be able to be on that objective at the beginning of your term, which is a real game changer. And it really makes you think differently than you've probably been thinking. And that's what I discovered. I run out and I grab this objectives. But then he responds and shoots me off of it or charges me and gets me off that objective. And so if I can't hold the or gets just gets more models on it. If I can't hold it, then you know you're in a, a little bit of of a of a quandary. So just kind of keep that in mind as you begin strategizing, especially for what we have coming up. That's a good point. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's often late game that you kind of have to scramble and capture those objectives. But I feel like with my army specifically, um, I don't have a lot of reinforcements coming in, so it ends up being that unless I could deliver that really hard punch turn one and two, right. You know, and especially with a close combat army, it's really hard because your units are practically useless until you're in combat. You know, how are you delivering them? Um, I have a Stormwolf transport, uh, which is a big target. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time I have, uh, the stratagem, that lets me outflank. So that's that's my reserve strategy, but I have to come within six inches of a board edge and nine inches away from an enemy unit, and they don't come until turn two unless I put them in my deployment zone. So um, it's really good for hiding like like long fangs or like if I want to sit my uh, troops on an objective in my deployment zone and not have them get shot turn one, I'll do that. But or if I want to pop some Grey Hunters on the, an objective late game. But um, it's really hard. Like, it was originally looked like a really good idea to deliver Wolf in that way, because you could put them nine inches away from an enemy unit, and then um, they reroll charge rolls, so you have a pretty good chance of getting them into combat. But for me, I think having a unit that expensive in reserve... And possibly not being effective until turn three is a big waste of points. Um, Because it allows my opponent to get the board control uh, early in the game. And then also that stratagem, having to come in six inches from the board edge, it's easy for them to deny me area to come in on. So they can they can kind of position their units in a way where it's like, okay, as long as you can't come along this board edge or this board edge, I'm going to force them to come in over here, and then I'll put a chaff unit in front of them. Yeah. So um, I think that stratagem is terrible, to be honest, unfortunately, but uh, except for like bringing troops on the board to cap objectives. Uh, uh, and even then, it's easy for your opponent to deny. So they put something on that objective. That means like I have to come in nine inches away from that, six within the board edge. So I'm coming in on my side of the board, and then i got to walk all the way over there. Thank you, Carla. That was a good look at the new Space Wolf stuff. I look forward to reporting back in next episode about how it shook out at Nova and what we saw people doing with the new Space Wolves toys. Looking forward to that. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up the episode shortly. Be right back. This has been episode 17. Episode 17, that's a great number. We're almost at episode 20, which is kind of nice. Episode 17 of Crew Shaken. 
Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our coverage of Magnus the Red, of getting ready for a tournament or convention, and some discussions of the new Space Wolves Codex, which just came out yesterday, the 25th of August, 2018. We are headed to Nova Open. We have new golf shirts we'll be wearing, and I'll probably have my hat on. I'm going to try to get this episode on air Tuesday night, so if you happen to be listening to this on your way to Nova, and if you see us around at the convention, please stop and say hello. We love meeting the folks that listen to our show. And we're wrapping up our contest to win a box of Armager Helverin Imperial Knights. And congratulations to Daryl Kempster, K-E-M-P-S-T-E-R, the winner of a box of Armager Knight Helverins. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to the several hundred of Thank you to the several hundred people who liked us on Facebook, followed us on Instagram, and left us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcasting platforms. But our winner is Daryl Kempster. Daryl, do reach out to us. We'll get that box sent out to you as soon as we hear from you. We're running this contest again this month because the winner's name we picked last month never got back in touch with us. And we'd love to get this box of knights into a lucky listener's hands. So this winner, Daryl Kempster. If you know Daryl, if you are Daryl, get in touch. We'll get this box in the mail to you immediately. Again, thank you for listening. Happy gaming, everyone. For Crew Shaken, I am Tim. I'm Laval. And I'm Carlo. 